Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. I'm Meredith Bell, here with another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. And I would love to welcome today my wonderful friend and guest and colleague, Lisa Walker. Dr. Lisa Walker, welcome to the program, Lisa. Oh, Meredith, it's such a delight for me to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. I have too, because we have always had such fabulous conversations. Lisa and I have known each other, what, four years now? It's been a while. And we've actually been able to meet in person, which is wonderful. And Lisa has so much brilliance about her. I'm excited to bring her to my audience. Lisa, before we get into the many questions I have for you, I want to introduce you more formally to my audience. Dr. Lisa Walker is a psychologist and leadership development expert. She's an ICF master certified coach and a Columbia University certified executive coach, working with leaders and teams across industries. She's also an advanced level mediator and facilitator, helping leaders navigate crucial conversations. She's worked with uh, large scale leadership initiatives for clients in over 30 countries. And Lisa has a knack for coaching executives to achieve positive, measurable changes in their leadership behaviors while delivering on business results, and nurturing and growing their people. That's a great combination. (laughs) Her clients include uh, very familiar names like Dell, Amazon, Target, and IBM. Now, something a lot of folks don't know about Lisa, she loves gardening, cooking. I've seen your pictures on Facebook of these amazing meals you've prepared. She also loves traveling the outdoors and extreme hiking. In fact, one of her most epic hiking adventures, which we will talk about today, led her to Mount Kilimanjaro's summit, one of the world's tallest mountains. And she has an upcoming book that I'm very excited about reading. It's called Leading Beyond Your Limits, Critical Leadership Tools for Resilience and Innovation in the Area of Relentless Change. Isn't that the truth? We have so much change that we've been dealing with, and we're going to tap into your expertise and knowledge in that area too, Lisa. But first, tell us where you originally came from, how you came to be a psychologist, and then making that transition from psychologist to the leadership coaching that you do today. Yeah. Thanks, Meredith. Thanks for that warm uh introduction. And so I'm really at heart a little girl from Jamaica, um, from rural Jamaica, a little town called Charlestown. And my grandmother's house was uh, situated on a hill looking over the ocean. So I grew up with all this greenery around me, but looking out at the ocean. So as a little child, one of the things I love seeing 
were the cruise ships passing by on the ocean and dreaming of someday going off to possibly the U.S. Um, um, to see what this big world was. So I did finished high school in Jamaica and came to the U.S. for my undergrad. My intention really was to go to med school. And my first introduction to psychology was intro to psych, <laughs> that's the name of the class. It blew my mind because I had not been exposed to psychology in high school as a subject. I'd heard of it, been curious, but this course sucked me in. And then came abnormal psych and then other psych courses. And pretty soon, that's pretty much all I wanted to study. And that was my entrance um, into psychology. Went on, did my master's, then did my doctorate and worked in that area clinically for a while. But organically over time, so many of the, the clients I work with, patients slash, slash clients, um, invited me to do work with them and for them in their organization. And I got very curious about that work and wanted to do more. So went on to do additional studies postgraduate in the whole business arena, understanding more about the business world, and then slowly transition from clinical work in psychology to leadership work in psychology. So that's how I, I ended up in this place. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I know you've had such wonderful experience with is working with executive levels of leadership and having the opportunity to really have a, a, I won't say a totally unique perspective, but different from most executive coaches. Most of them are not psychologists by training. And so I'm curious about the kinds of skills that you feel, the combination of skills that make you unique in your work with clients and how, and how do those skills help you draw out, you know, what's really going on with them yeah. and real service to them? That's a great question. And a lot of my clients actually select me as a coach because of that background um, in psychology. Some mistakenly thinking that as a psychologist, some of the work will be clinical in nature, go a little bit deeper. So they're not wrong, really, because there is some of that work, but it is not the clinical therapeutic work that one might think about. Um, because I still have my toolbox, my psychological toolbox with all those frameworks and ways of digging deeper, mentally going deeper, I'm able to pull out some of those tools to support my clients. The work is still um, coaching work, but we can pretty quickly identify roadblocks ways of thinking that's keeping a person stalled or you know, preventing them from changing the way they view themselves, changing the way they craft the stories about themselves and about the world around them. So using some of my tools from my clinical toolbox, I'm able to help my clients go more quickly, deeper, and allow them then to see a path forward way more readily than a, a coach who may not have had that experience or training. And my clients really appreciate that because as you know, we live in this rapidly changing environment where we're expected to get things done quickly. And while you and I know that coaching takes time and this long lasting measurable change that we desire for our clients, that's gonna take a while for that to happen. Yet there are certain things that psychology can do, certain tools from psychology can speed that up for the clients. And my clients really appreciate that when they're, um, they'll see over, say, a 50-minute session, for example, we're introducing a framework 
that helps them understand, for example, the neuroscience behind the fear they may have been struggling with for a long time or the anxiety that they've been struggling with and giving them some tips and ideas to challenge that, to manage and to navigate and show up differently. It's, it's, it's mind blowing. And I love seeing the transformation that happens in my clients because of that. So give us an example of a fear, let's say, that one of them had. And of course, keeping the person anonymous, but it's always helpful to, and you're such a fabulous storyteller, to describe, you know, what were they struggling with in their current, in their, you know, earlier situation before they started working with you? And what is it you helped them reframe? And then what difference did that make back on the job? Yeah, so I'm, I'm sorting through my file in my head to see <laughs> which one of these leaders I should share. Someone, I'm thinking of this brilliant attorney. In fact, she's one of the top collaborative lawyers globally. And um, when she hears the story, she knows exactly who she is. I mean, we had a session last week and she always says to me, I am so grateful for our partnership because of how it's changed my life. And when we first started working together, she was at this place where she was actually thinking of pulling away from practicing law. She had this experience within her her law firm um, that shattered her confidence, caused her to question her her, um, confidence and competence as a lawyer. And she, she then built up certain stories around that, that stood in her way. They got in her way of her practicing at a level that everyone else had been, uh, had been used to practicing with her. Now, prior to um, transitioning to, to executive coaching, I worked for over a decade primarily with lawyers um, in collaborative law. So I was very intimately familiar with this lawyer's work very intimately familiar with her um, involvement in building the collaborative law community. So I knew her expertise and to see her 10, 12 years later, um, her confidence being shattered in that way. And she's sharing with me how it's impacting her work, both what she's delivering and the love for her work and this desire now of wanting to pull back. Fast forward about two to three months in our work where we are now her coach and we're unpacking everything that she's been experiencing, um, what, what her mindset is currently, what the roadblocks are. And to cut a long story short, what it came down to is over time, the messages that she had gotten from others around her, in particular, one attorney who behaved in a certain way that belittled her, disrespected her, she owned quite a bit of that. And she started building these stories about herself, untrue stories, but stories she created that now prophesied literally the way she would show up. Mm-hmm. So the lack of confidence, the perceived lack of um, lack of confidence, rather the perceived lack of confidence and discomfort with her work were as a result, direct result of these stories that she had created and she was living by, where we had to do the work to dis- dismantle the story But here's the deal, we had to go even further back. We had to take a look back earlier in life about how some of these stories may have started from her childhood and some of the anchors that she had in her life that held up the earlier stories and now made it easier for her to create these false narratives. And she leaned in beautifully, 
She was highly responsive to the process. She did the work and it was hard. She would tell me that after certain sessions, she was drained, but she knew that she was on the right track. Fast forward now, several years later, we check in every quarter because as Ushia and I say, just to make sure that the engine is working well and everything is, and she is a beauty to behold when you hear her talk about her work, how she's serving her people, the love she has for the community and the work she's doing, and how much she's not pouring into others. Meredith, it warms my heart and it makes me love my work. I'm sure it does. I, I got chills just listening <laughs> to describe her because you really do see that you made such a difference in, in her life and then the ripple effect that yes. that has had on the lives that she is now touching in a different way. I love the, I love the fact that you noted the ripple effect because for me, while it is so gratifying to see her as an individual grow through it, through this experience, the real beauty of it, and she'll say this as well, is all these folks who are being impacted now by the more powerful person that she is. And I say powerful, even though she is this petite in size person, quiet in her presentation, yet she's a powerhouse. And now she knows it and she leverages that well. That's great. I love the work you're doing. Thinking back into the various situations you're working in, you have a, an opportunity to interact with a lot of leaders. And I wonder if there are any common challenges that you're seeing them face these days, especially with, you know, COVID. And now we seem to be coming to the other side of it with yeah. more and more people getting vaccinated. Talk a little bit about the challenges that they are dealing with and how you as a coach uh, are helping them navigate those challenges. Yeah. It's, 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 it's real right now for all of us. And so many of my leaders are sitting in front of me and we're talking about, okay, so last year we saw our people hunker down. When COVID came, we all put our shoulders to the wheel and we got stuff done. And then almost everybody got burnt out, right? And so organizations have had to figure out how do we nurture our people, um, pull them out of this phase of burnout uh, get them to a healthy place while still ensuring that we're meeting our business goals. After all, they're businesses. They're in business to make money and to serve their, their community, including the employees that they have. So now the big challenge for many of my leaders is, so here we are, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. We don't want to pressure our folks too much, yet there's this need to find a perfect balance between driving for results and taking care of their people. What is that balance? And that balance is going to be different from one organization to the next. There is no perfect formula um, that I've experienced, I've seen that says, okay, this works in organization A, so let's move it over to organization B. So some of the guidance I've been providing is leaders have to get to know their people. Know, get a, know and understand what the experience has been like for their team members, not as a whole per se, 
but as individual team members, because their experiences are different, the impact of the trauma is, has been different for them. And the tail end, um, some research suggests that trauma has a long tail end. And we know that psychologically, that because the traumatic event is over, doesn't mean the impact on the individual or the team is over. So now being really aware of what this long tail end may be like for individual team members and your team as a whole, and dare I say your organization as a whole, and then start thinking about what are the resources that we now need to pull in for our people to ensure that we are meeting their needs. We're meeting their needs um, developmentally, psychologically, relationally, um, in terms of the resources that they need so that they can be as whole and as healthy as possible to continue to drive for results and feel as if they're being cared for. So that's a big challenge that we're doing a lot of work, not just the conversations, but putting things in place to ensure that folks are experiencing that their leaders are focused in this way. Now, do you get pushback from any of the leaders that say, who has time to have these individual conversations? With yeah, you? We yeah. have so much to get done. And it's interesting, you know, in the past, it would have been more of a pushback now it's almost a cry for help. How do I do this? Mm. Right? How do I do this? They, most leaders now know that it's really important to be talking with their people and creating these opportunities to share what's going on. So now they're saying, how do I do this? How do I make sure? And you're right. It's really difficult to be talking to everyone on a regular basis and making sure that you're feeling this connection. Yet they know that the need, for example, for these virtual water cooler moments, these virtual walks down the hallway, virtual lunch moments where you get to know what's going on. How is grandma doing? How are the kids really doing with virtual or homeschooling or hybrid of being in, in school? And at home? How, how, how is that impacting you as a working mom or as a working dad? And it's interesting how we're hearing story after story that when team members are engaged in these conversations with each other, and particularly with their leader involved, that somehow it calms their anxiety a bit because it improves their sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And they experience their leader as caring. And here's the kicker behind this. When they have that experience, they show up more, meaning they're fully present, they're more engaged, and where we have higher engagement, we have more work being done, innovation increasing, bottom line being impacted in a positive way. So it's a win for the organization. So when they ask me this question, or if there's a bit of resistance, I just engage with them a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper, then we can bring the conversation right back around to, so I hear you wanna improve engagement because that's important to your bottom line and you wanna take care of your folks while doing so that's a noble effort. And there's so many things we can do to help in that regard. Do any of them feel uncomfortable with how to start a conversation to ask about how people are really doing? Because it's kind of getting at a personal level. You know, you're going into their homes in a sense, whereas at work, it's a different kind of space. How do you guide yes. them to open those conversations? That's a great one, Meredith. I had so many leaders early last year um, who would say, Lisa, I don't know how to have the conversation. And when we had the huge George Floyd situation, well, we still do have that. But when that 
opened up to all of us last year, that was another conversation I was having with leaders who saying, I just don't know how to have that kind of intimate conversation. Well, one of the interesting things about COVID is that it brought us into each other's homes, right? So there's certain, there's so many things I could ask you, for example, about the bird over your shoulder behind you, right? Yeah, I could say, yes, I could say, Meredith, I love your plant in the corner. What else do you have there? Notice how that's an entrance into your personal space, mm-hmm. right? Which then makes it easier for me to say, and so are the kids home today for school? Are they home every day for school? And how are you managing with that? What's your support system? Who's helping? What is that like for you? How are you able to navigate and deliver what you're delivering right now with all that responsibility? So showing them a little ways of naturally engaging. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel as if you're pushing some door down. Or one leader said to me, um, there's a team member that he was pretty concerned about, but she never came on camera. Um, She was not yet aware that she could use uh, Zoom screens, the the background to cover. And she was in a closet, an honest to goodness closet with all the clothes and everything hanging behind her. She was embarrassed by that, but that was her workspace for the day. And one day when he asked, I'd love to really be able to connect with you because I want to know how you're doing. And that's when she shared with him that um, I don't have a space for work as yet. And so my space is cluttered. And he said, oh, what we've been doing is talking about getting the screens up. Would you like for me to show you how to do this? And so they proceeded on screen. He shared his screen, showed her where to go in Zoom to select a background. And so she came out of the closet for the next meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Simple things like that. Different kind of closet. (laughs) Different kind of closet. I'm so interestingly enough, their team, who I'm now coaching that team, um, uses that as an example of you know, how to bring the team together, how to show that you care for each other. Um, and one of, the, one of the, the things that they love to say in that team is that it's so much easier to empathize with you when I see your face than when I'm only seeing your name on the screen. And so they remind each other about that, that the reason I need to see you is so that I can connect with you so I can help you more. And that's such a beautiful thing. So I just kept sharing that with other teams, right? Yes, anytime you can get a really clear example like that, that everyone can relate to and understand, it makes a huge, huge difference. Well, one of the things I remember you talked about when we were in Hawaii together, uh, this whole thing of mindset, you know, and, and how you approach anything that you're doing. And I remember especially you talking about it in terms of speaking, you know, and owning the space. And I love that idea. And I would, I would like to tap into your, what I'm sure you've learned since then about owning your space. And the client example, the attorney you gave is a good, you know, mm-hmm. illustration of that. But I know you've got other thoughts on that, that I would love for you to share with my audience. Yeah. So when, when I think about owning the space, Meredith, I'm often thinking from the perspective of what's the impact that I'd like to have on my audience, whether it's an audience of one 
for an audience of 10,000. What's the impact? How do I want them to feel both during or experience of engaging together and after? What do I want them to think about? Even how do I want them to think? So the way I say what I say, my facial expression, my body language, all of that is in service of the impact that I want to have on others. So it's for me, it's sort of like envisioning this house that I'm building. And let's say I'm wanting to build this house by the, you know, by the side of the lake. I'm envisioning this beautiful structure with, you know, how many rooms for the family and the water is there and the big trees are there. And I want that because I want a space for friends and family to feel welcome and have space to enjoy. So that's the end result. So when I think of my audience, one or a thousand or 10,000, it's what is this experience I want to create with and for them? And then, so that's my end product. Then I go back to the beginning to say, how do I need to be in service of that outcome? So that's my mindset. Notice I haven't yet started thinking about what I need to do. In fact, I have this simple little formula that I think about, um, and I, I use this to guide me in so many different things that I'm doing. So it's the be, do, have. So the have is my house by the lake in the woods. The be is my mindset. How do I need to be? Well, I need to be curious and open and transparent and warm and all those things that will cause my audience to want to listen to me, want to engage, want to know more, want to show up. Then and only then am I stepping into how do I need to be? So I need to get to work. I need to do my research. I need to know what my audience needs from me. What are they looking for? What are they interested in? I've got to do the work preparing all that. Then I've got to show up energetic. I've got to show up focused. I've got to connect with my folk. So that's all the do. I haven't gotten to the do until I've done with the mindset, setting that mindset of curiosity, of openness, of thinking that every single person that I'm engaging with is so important and uh, so poised for growth. I, I, I intentionally cause myself to think of others in that way that just as I am hungry for growth, and that's just kind of how I'm positioned, I see others in a similar way. So that's my mindset. And then I do the work to deliver what I have to deliver with, to them and engage them in a certain way that they get the emotional impact, not just the information, but they feel that emotional connection with me. That's great. It's such a wonderful model, so simple in you know the three words and yet powerful in terms of how you execute yes in the right sequence yes and i'll have my leaders share with i mean leaders who are senior senior leaders um in the cc of major organization who say lisa that's my little go-to whatever this big initiative is i know that i've got to spend time creating clarity around what it is that i want to have and they literally coach and train and guide their teams using this framework. Let's gain clarity on the end result, the impact, the product, the whatever. And then once we have that, how do we need to be in order to make this happen? In fact, through 2020 and the pandemic up to now, many have shared with me that this framework has been a lifesaver. Clarity, the mindset, 
I've got to be resilient. I've got to be focused. I've got to be patient. I've got to be open. I've got to be agile. Now let's develop our strategy in terms of what are the goals? What are the, um, the, the, the milestones along the way that we're checking, looking at? How are we measuring our success? That's the plan. We're ready to work on the plan after we've determined how we need to be. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. We have to talk about your trip <laughs> up the mountain, up the mountain, because you had so many insights there. And I know you're, you've got to be incorporating many of them into your book. Yes. And yeah. so we, we can't spend a whole conversation on that. But I, I just remember some of the stories you told that were so profound in terms of your takeaways from them. Why don't you choose a couple to share with us? But first, explain why you decided to take that on in the first place. Yeah, so you're right. The book, the through line of the book is my journey up Mount Kilimanjaro. And I decided to summit Mount Kilimanjaro because I fell preparing for a Spartan race. And my doctor said there was no way from the injury I sustained to my shoulder on a rock, there was no way that I would be able to pull myself up in many of those obstacles for a Spartan race. A Spartan race is an obstacle race like military style. You're out in the boondocks scaling 12 foot walls and hoisting yourself across a pond on a rope and crazy stuff like that. So when I realized that I would not be able to do a Spartan race that year um, because my shoulder wasn't working, I said, well, I can figure something out that doesn't need my shoulder to be that strong. And the seed was born for Kilimanjaro. So prepped for months for Kilimanjaro. And I learned so much about myself, about life and about leadership from that experience. We had this amazing young, young man, Kibacha, who was the leader of the expedition. And from day one, I just noticed something different about him. Something about his, he's a very um, soft-spoken, almost delicate person with a, so much power behind each very quiet word he spoke. And for me, that's just beautiful. He led a team of 67 um, porters to take us to the top of the mountain. And he did this uh, job over the nine day span with such focus and dedication and thoughtfulness that he captured my mind for the entire time. So I started journaling about it. And I saw so many of my leaders, I say my leaders, meaning the leaders I've had a privilege of working with over the years. I saw so many of them in him in various aspects of leadership. And so that's what I pulled into the book. But there are two things that stood out from the mountain for me. One was there is a portion of Kilimanjaro called Barranco Wall. And Barranco Wall from a distance is scary. It's huge. It, it just seems like it takes your breath away. You're like, oh my goodness. So tomorrow we've got to scale Barranco Wall. Now you read online that porters have fallen to their death on Barranco Wall because it's such a scary little piece of the wall. Now, the reality is if you're going to get to the summit of Kilimanjaro, everyone must climb um, Barranco Wall. There's no getting around it. So you've got to go. So since my vision was to summit, then you just get ready. You do whatever you need to do for climbing Barranco Wall, meaning you, you put away your, your, your sticks because they're poles. They couldn't help you because there are portions of the wall that you're using hands and feet. There are portions where somebody has to hoist you up and help you. There are portions where you're hugging the mountain, hugging the rock and crawling around. 
Um, and while you're doing this, there are porters trying to skip around you with their big bags and boxes on their head. And so it's this amazing, scary, interesting adventure. And when you're done scaling Barranca Wall, you feel like I can do anything. The interesting thing that I've noted, the parallel I see with all my leaders is that every single leader have their own Barranca Walls that they've got to scale. And they've got to figure out how to do so. It looks treacherous, but on closer examination, they realize that they can recruit the right resources, the right people, the right mindset, slow down, strategize, and they can get over the Barranca Wall because the Barranca Walls are always going to be there. So that was one thing about um, Kili that stands out. The second was the night of summiting. Um, so you generally leave base camp at midnight to get to the summit by 7, 7.30 in the morning because everyone wants to see the sun rising over Africa. And for months, that's what I've been dreaming about. Well, fast forward to about six and a half, seven hours into that journey, um, summit night, we got to the last rest stop. And for the last several hours before that, I noticed that the lights ahead of me were getting dimmer and dimmer. And so because the weather conditions were horrendous, by this time I was crying like a baby because my fingers hurt so bad from the cold. Um, I probably was being a bit belligerent because of the height, because you can hardly breathe at this, at this point, because, you know, Achilles Summit is 19,500 and something feet. So your, your breathing is mm. at this point. I can't see. And at the last rest stop at Stella Point, I realized that it wasn't the fog. It wasn't the weather. My sight has been disappearing. And so by that point, I couldn't see anything. Like I could not see anything. And I freaked out for a few seconds. And that's all I had because it was so cold that you don't stop for long. In fact, so cold when I tried to get water, my pack was frozen. The, the, the pack, my water pack on my back was frozen. <laughs> um, so we quickly decided that I was going to continue. Well, I decided I was going to continue because in my mind, I remember that um, in doing my research, I learned that on rare occasion, mountain climbers can go blind temporarily. So I held on to the word temporarily, not remembering if it's hours, days, weeks. I just, my vision was clear. I got to summit. And so Peter, my husband, thought I was a little bit crazy, but he agreed that we'll go. Charles, my guide, said, let's go. He said, put your right leg against my left and move as I move. And so we shuffled along for another hour or so, and I got to the summit. And I felt Peter pull me back to the, the, the wooden structure that says, congratulations, I can't see anything, but he pulled me back and he placed something in my hand. Days later, I realized it was a little, tiny little Jamaican flag and he had his tiny little American flag. And so he took pictures of us, someone else took pictures of us. And this is happening literally in seconds. And I felt someone yanked me and said, come on, we've got to go. And this was Kibacha. Word had been sent to him that I'd lost my sight. And so he waited there 30 minutes, he said, waiting to get me. And so he started quickly down the mountain. We've got to get you down from this elevation. Now, it's another seven and a half to eight hours to descend. And so for the entire time you're talking about, luckily I couldn't see because I didn't see the crevices and the, 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 the steep ravines that were all around us. But that journey, both up not being able to see and down not being able to see, taught me that I can do anything I put my mind to. And that limits are only what we make them. So my book 
leading beyond your limits and my other works living beyond your limits it has so much meaning to me because when i think when your mindset is in that place where you believe you can do anything you can and so that's my approach with my leaders i get to work with it sometimes scares them a little at first but that is as i slowly unpack and they're realizing that the craziness that I have, they've got it too. It becomes infectious. <laughs> and they <laughs> I can see that. I can easily see that happening, Lisa, because of your, you know, your charisma, but that's driven by this experience you had. You know, you know, if and I, I also that what what else could I face that could be yes. And I see what, what's helpful also, Meredith, is not only do I know that I can do this, I often know that they can do this before they realize that they can do this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all excited for them because I'm using brain science to help guide my thinking, my approach and the work I'm doing with them. So I know that the brain believes whatever we tell it. So slowly over time, as we're doing the work, I'm inviting them to tell their brain that I got this, I can do this. Now let's figure it out. Mm. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the energy behind your stories too. They're just wonderful. Uh, and I can't wait to read your book. It's going to be fun to have Lisa in front of me for all these pages <laughs> once it's done. Thank you. So that's, that's fabulous. Lisa, we could talk all day. Uh, I'm going to need to wrap this up, though, and ask you to share about how can people connect with you? Because I know that they'll be eager to learn more about you. How can they learn more about the services you provide? Uh, so you can learn more about me um, by finding Lisa Walker on uh, LinkedIn. That's my primary place of residing and my website, drwalkerconsulting.com. Um, in the next few weeks or so, I'll be on Twitter and Instagram as well. But for now, you can easily find me on LinkedIn and at my website. Excellent. Excellent. I encourage all my listeners to connect with Lisa. She's just an amazing human being. And I'm so glad to call you a friend and colleague and look forward to seeing great success with your book. I'll certainly do my part to help you promote that. Ah, oh, thanks, Meredith. This has been such a delight. As I said, I've been looking forward to having this chat with you. Well, thank you for all the leaders that you're helping to see differently and to be differently in the world and with their teams and most likely their families as well. The ripple effect goes in all directions, not that's just right. one. So that's great. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Meredith. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.